Let's do this. It's finally time, gentlemen. Welcome to the Chuluminati Podcast, Episode 9, Tommy Patera, Part 3. It's the end. The story of Tommy Patera, the Mickey Mouse murderer, whatever you want to call him, <laughs> is... Uh, <laughs> the is... Mickey Mouse murderer? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, time. Tommy, it's time to finally... Tommy, Tommy, I didn't call you that. I ain't calling you that. You are a strong man. You are a strong individual who is very good murdering. And honestly, I don't want to be part of it. Honestly, high voice is the new low voice. Yeah, I'm down. Whatever yeah. whatever makes you feel better, Tommy, and not come after us if you for some reason break out of jail. Though at the, this point in time, you're probably in your 50s or 60s, I think. So, no, yeah, you can still whoop me. You can still we whoop said, me. We so. said Mickey Mouse because Mickey Mouse is so successful. And, and yes, dominant in the marketplace. Yes. yes. No one brand. has a, a, such a control or grip over the childhood marketplace. Murders. No. Like Disney. Murders. Very own Pikachu. <laughs> if, uh, before we get going, for the viewers, if you haven't, uh, this is part three of a three-part series. Please do yourself a favor. Go watch the first two episodes. Um, this has this been a like hell a of a This is like a kung fu movie trilogy. Yeah, it's great. It's been a it's been a wild ride following Tommy through his life and and uh, to to watch the monster he became and the things that he did. So go ahead and check that out. Also, as always, a big thank you to everybody. This the true crime series has done incredibly well. Um, you people, it's one of the most watched or listened to series that we've done right from the start. Uh, so thank you so much for that, and uh, we appreciate it. Hell yeah! So when we dive in, let's try and remember what happened last episode. If you if you don't remember, let me let me refresh your memory. Oh uh, boy, Tommy and Tommy came across two people that would be in my uh, at the end of it all imperative to his downfall. Oh, um, that's right. Yes. the lady that he shacked up with, who wasn't his wife, who was on super drugs, and then the dude who he <laughs> said, "Hey, come murder some people with me," and right. that dude started turning to drugs, and then there was the girl in the middle between those. I'm ready. So, I'm ready yes. for it all so, to come crumbling so down. There this is, is so exciting. Again, go back, version. go back and listen. Um, but there is Celeste, which is Tommy's uh, girlfriend, uh, the one that he loved, who he worshipped. And, and But she was a massive drug user, and uh, he could never get her off of drugs. So he blamed everybody but her, and he decided to, to basically pin Celeste's problem on her best friend, Phyllis, who was a huge drug addict as well. He warned her, told her to stay away from her, and even gave her kind of like a final, like, this could get dangerous if you don't do what I tell you to kind of speech. And he also met Frank Ganji. Frank was the kind of a guy he brought in close. He kind of felt a weird kinship with him, um, tried to get him to kill somebody. Didn't, Frank never went through with it. Uh, Frank then watched Tommy do the killing and then dismember the body, and he helped bury him. And uh, Why do murderers always do this shit? Well, it, we're actually going to talk a little bit about why he forced somebody to do it uh, and why he believed in, in his mind it was important. But then Frank started drinking and becoming kind of, um, you know, trying to trying to wash away his sorrows and his trauma with alcohol and drugs. And then shortly after that murder that he witnessed, he went and did a ton of cocaine with Phyllis, slept with her on and off for a few days, and started falling for Phyllis, which would also be kind of a linchpin to the the falling of our Yo, dear man I knew Tom. it I knew I knew it was gonna have to do with sex and drugs sex that's and how drugs. everyone gets got that's how everyone gets got yep <laughs> so we'll dive right in Frank in Tommy's mind at this point because Frank had seen the murder and helped him drive the body out and all that other stuff was at least in Tommy's mind now equally as culpable as himself to the murder this, you seen, know how crazy that sounds, right? Like, right, of course. <laughs> the, s dragging someone along to see a murder, actually to help commit a murder, and then be like, this I is definitely fault. can trust yeah. this person. <laughs> You're, I blame you for this. That is way number one to like, have yourself turned on. <laughs> oh, Tommy. Oh, Tommy. <sighs> um, Tommy, he, Frank had seen Tommy now murder, dismember, and even helped him drive out the body out to bury it in the bird sanctuary on Staten Island that had become Tommy's own personal graveyard. He felt that he could now trust Frank, that if he sought to bring down Tommy, he'd also have to bring himself down in the process, and he would never want to do that. Nobody would want to bring themselves down in the world of luxury and crime. So in Tommy's mind, Frank, on some level, was trustworthy. But Frank had been traumatized. 
where what he'd seen, how Tommy had methodically dismembered a body that had been alive no shorter than 30 minutes prior, like he was a butcher taking care of meat to be sold, had settled so deeply into Frank's core that he could not shake it. He couldn't sleep, he could barely eat, and Tommy was always just right around the corner in Frank's mind. So, Frank already being a drug user, dove deeper into cocaine to help him forget. Cocaine and sex with the woman who Tommy Tommy desperately wanted to keep away from his girl Celeste. Phyllis Birdie. And if you missed who Phyllis Birdie is, again, second episode, go watch it. Basically, uh, a woman born and raised in... Yeah. 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 (laughs) Exactly. A woman born and raised in the, in the, in the world of mafiadom had a, a thick Brooklyn accent, but on the outside appeared dainty and curvy with the big 80s hair and big, big tits, that kind of thing. In case you forgot, Phyllis is one of Tommy's, uh, is the one that Tommy had to ward away from Celeste. He blamed Phyllis for Celeste's drug problem and threatened in the most polite way possible to stay away from his girl. But Frank needed an escape, and he knew that Phyllis was a <laughs> quote-unquote coke whore. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess she's a coke whore, so, uh, you know. Now, something that's important, actually, is something to know about Frank, and it's something I kind of skipped mostly and will mostly skip while talking about it, but Frank also what had a common-law wife and a kid. So he like, was... Just like Tommy? All these mob yeah, guys. Yeah, more Jesus. or less. Jesus. So, okay. so he spent a few days with her, doing coke and fucking on and off constantly trying to help himself forget or at the very least numb the trauma of what he'd seen and it worked why would he part. do this with why would he do this with like the fr- this is like the worst possible person he could have chose to do this with yeah e- no 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 well celeste would have been maybe the worst i feel like i feel choice. like in this world because as we learned celeste and and phyllis they're in like they're part of the mob lifestyle if you watched uh, oh my god, like Sopranos or anything like that. Mm-hmm. The women who are in this world, like, those are the ones you turn to for stuff like this. I guess. Yeah. So it makes sense why you would do it, because they, you know, they can understand, question mark? I guess but he just watched this man chop this man up in a bathtub, and he was like, you know what, I'm going to uh, have sex with th- his most hated friend. <laughs> um, I, Yeah. yeah that's what happened yeah that's exactly what happened and uh much to to tommy's dismay those warnings that he had given phyllis actually had fallen upon deaf ears most importantly he was focusing on the wrong person tommy had a giant weakness in the form of celeste we already knew that in his eyes her drug usage and her problems were everyone else's fault celeste was a victim in tommy's eyes who refused to stay away from those who made her a victim most notably Phyllis. And even though he had told Phyllis to stay away from even though he had told Phyllis to stay away from his girl over and over again, he had heard over and over again that Celeste was constantly seen out partying with Phyllis, doing drugs, partying and losing herself to the nightlife. That those warnings that he had given Phyllis were completely and utterly ignored. And each time Tommy heard it, it infuriated him even more so. And a few days after the events that Frank had with Phyllis, he would reach out to Frank for them to meet. When Frank arrived at the Tommy's apartment, Tommy was clearly upset. He was pacing back and forth while talking about how Phyllis refused to listen. That he had warned her over and this over is and not, over This again. is not good behavior. This is, this, no. is, this is the scariest thing that could happen. Because now, cause now he's venting to Frank. He's venting to Frank after how he had just spent a couple nights with Phyllis about how Phyllis is the problem. Phyllis is the problem. And he was pissed. He was visibly angry about the whole thing and that Phyllis wouldn't listen. That he had warned her constantly and, they, and yet Celeste and Phyllis kept hanging out. Frank knew that Tommy's solution to everything at this point was murder. So Frank offered to go talk to Phyllis for him. Maybe if she heard it from a different person at a diff- with a different approach at a different angle, that Phyllis would listen and agree. And Tommy agreed. Tommy gave Frank that chance. But Frank knew better. Deep down, he really knew better. He knew Celeste was a drug addict, and no matter what, she would be out, if not with Phyllis, then with somebody else, doing cocaine and heroin and partying. But he had grown very, very fond of Phyllis, and this was his attempt to save her. Not to save Celeste. This was such a dumb thing. Okay. Yeah. He, he, he basically was falling for her. Even though he had a common-law wife and child, he was very much falling for Phyllis. He was falling for that coke whore. Yeah. 
Uh, and in the, in the, you know, in the words, uh, uh, in, in the research I did, like, he, basically, Phyllis had shown him, um, sexual deviancy that he had never experienced before. And he very <laughs> much, <laughs> he very he much enjoyed that. Yes, yeah, this, this is a tale as old as time right here. This he, is, yeah, this, he, this makes perfect sense to me. She, she, she had a knowledge of that kind of lifestyle that Frank did not have by any stretch, so... The sex he was having with Phyllis it was the best sex that Frank had ever had in his entire fucking life. So, he kind of was getting swept up in her. Man. So, yeah. So, shortly after, Frank called Phyllis and, uh, to meet, and told her to meet her at a bar near his house. There, they had a conversation. Frank warned her about Tommy again. But this time, more appealing to her sense of safety than uh, a threat. That he had eyes on, uh, that Tommy had eyes everywhere, and that people were telling him that Celeste was still hanging out with Phyllis. But Phyllis told Frank that she didn't give Celeste drugs. She had tons of other people that she got the drugs from, that Celeste didn't need Phyllis for the drugs. That they were just friends, and that she wasn't going to stop hanging out with her good friend just because her boyfriend was being possessive. Thing is, Phyllis was being truthful. Of course she didn't was. Mean, but it didn't mean that Tommy gave a shit. Frank continued fruitlessly trying to convince her to stop, even, ask, even asking her to maybe leave town for a little while and let Tommy cool off just for her own safety. But Phyllis laughed it off. In her eyes, what was Tommy going to do? She lived the mafia lifestyle. Was he really going to kill her just because his girlfriend wouldn't listen to him? Yes. What about <laughs> the fucking story where she, he sat there and watched this dude chop a warm man's body up in a bathtub? Well, to be fair, uh, the, the, one, the one weird nuance that Tommy had is that he never killed women, and he was always very respectful towards women. But the rule was, unless they had it coming. I mean, we'll, we'll get to that here momentarily. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, they were just friends in Phyllis's eyes, and she wasn't doing anything wrong, and Frank continued trying and, and to, to, to no avail. She laughed at it off. Tommy, what was Tommy going to do? That she wasn't doing anything wrong. And after some more time drinking and failing to convince her, Phyllis and Frank went back to her place where they did a few lines of coke and fucked on and off. That's not even long. like a good relationship. It's like, <laughs> Frank, Phyllis, y'all don't even have the means for, for true love right there. He's like, do that <laughs> thing, baby. <laughs> that thing you do with your oh. mouth. That thing you think you do, do that thing you do with your mouth. As he's yeah. like just snorting cocaine. I, don't, I love yeah, this. I feel like the two of them. I feel like these two star-crossed lovers are doomed for failure. I wonder. Star-crossed. It's, <laughs> it, it's fascinating, too, because you know in Frank's mind, he knows what's, uh, what Tommy wants to do, and if that she doesn't leave, he's, she's going to die. Yo, uh, hey, Mathis, yeah. cocaine's a hell of a drug, man. <laughs> I guess so. I've never it touched It makes people do dumb stuff, and this is right up there with it. So, like, in, I mean, it's weird because, like, Frank knows. He might be fucking somebody who could be dead very, very, very shortly. He could be dead very, very shortly. True. I think it's Frank true. had to have known. I'm assuming that Phyllis gets murdered. I don't know. Frank or didn't know. Frank 100% knew. He knew that while he was even having sex you with know, her. You know what this reminds me of? Um, Alex will get this. It reminds me of Dr. Afra in Star Wars. Yeah. So Star Wars, uh, the new canon stuff for people who are curious... Uh, in the new stories that are coming out related to the new movies and all that, there's a character named Dr. Afra, And Dr. Afra is like a bounty hunter kind of She's lady, like Indiana but Jones, but <laughs> she works for Vader. Yeah. Vader oh, okay. hires her on and is like, look, I need you to help me do some stuff, but it has to be under the radar. I don't want the Emperor to know. But the thing is, their relationship is literally Darth Vader, the guy who kills on a whim, who is an intergalactic badass... And Dr. Afra, who accepts the fact that she this is where she's at now, and at any given moment, Vader could just kill her because. It's just and predicated so, on the fact that she's eventually going to get killed by Vader. So I, I, want, like I wonder if that's the Frank. same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, I feel like that might be... He knows it's going to happen, so maybe he's just doing everything he can to enjoy her presence while it lasts. That's so fucked up. Right? He, that, he that, could have just, just not talked to her. Yeah, or even so, like he could have talked to her, but not went back and fucked her for like however long. Yeah, exactly. Which we'll talk but about. that's but that's but that's like, uh, I feel I I feel for Frank because I I mean so do I. How do you if you watched a person be dismembered? I I I, I was, while you were thinking of that, I was like, I wonder if animals see other animals get killed and are like messed up by that. I don't know. 
because maybe we're the only we're the only living thing that feels that way. But seeing someone, another human, be cut to pieces like meat would f you up mentally. And so you have, of course, he went out and was like, "I have to kill this. I have to kill this with anything." Yeah. And so he he went hard. I don't blame him. I would have done the exact same thing. And probably while not, probably not with Phyllis, because I hear she's a co-core. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but that's that's exactly else, why sure. he went to her because she was a co-core because he enjoyed the feeling of fucking and cocaine. At he the same knew that time. he could like buy coke and that she would just like be yeah. yeah. And she would just do it and he'd have her for however How long. How is that they had a loving coke. relationship? Whatever, whatever. It's not. It's not. That's the thing. It's not a loving relationship at all. And while I would say Frank is by no means a good person, as he is you know, participated in, in murders and crimes galore. Uh, he's, it's, it's weird to say he's no Tommy, even though they're both terrible, terrible people. But Frank is going to have a sort of redemption arc, as we'll see as we continue on. So he goes back with Phyllis and they do cocaine and have sex all night. Frank was falling for her and fast. But as you all have already deduced, <laughs> this wouldn't last. Not because of anything he did specifically, though that's more in his mind, but because of how things go in this particular lifestyle. Some hours later, Celeste and uh, uh, yeah, some hours later, Celeste and Phyllis were out partying as they tended to do. They had a long. Co- oh, I apologize. Uh, yeah, they they had a long cocaine fueled night of partying and enjoyment. So this was a few days after Frank had sex with Phyllis. Um, and it's, uh, the long cocaine fueled night partying and enjoyment, but had decided that they wanted to come down and to rest to end their party spree. Oh my god! Oh, and they do heroin, right? Yes, that's, they do that's heroin. Thing. They do balling. Uh, oh my god! Yep, they're speedballing. Correct, dummies. Uh, so they had a party spree, and their preferred way to come down from cocaine was a b- b- r- heroin, also known as a speedball. And their preferred method, mainlining it, which means what? injecting it. Ma- yeah, Yo. that's how they prefer to do it. Talking about this traffic, is- the movie. You know what I'm yeah. saying? <laughs> this is which an is- incredibly bad choice on both their parts. Which the is fact easily... that this is their their preferred method. Yeah. Everything about this is if straight up, if they weren't got by the drugs, AIDS or some crazy disease would get them. This yeah. is the worst case scenario for all of these people. All right, please continue. Yeah, so Celeste was done partying uh, that night, and she wanted to come down, so she decided to mainline some heroin and rest. She had no idea how pure the heroin was. Oh, but no. for people who don't know, the more pure, the more lethal it is. And the heroin is anywhere between, I guess, 5% and 85% pure on average, or, like, normally, or whatever, depending on what you're buying. Um, and come to find out, the stuff that she was using was incredibly, incredibly pure. The this warm embrace of Mia Wallace situation. Shut up! Did she just kill herself? The warm embrace of heroin hit her hard, and she came down very, very quickly from her, co- her cocaine-fueled rush. Her eyes rolled in the back of her head, and she drifted into unconsciousness. No. Little did those in the same apartment, her friends, including Phyllis, who was there, she wasn't going to be waking up. Oh, my God. Nothing even had to happen. She just fucking died. Oh, Oh, no. Here we go. Fast forward. I'm so pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I know where this is going. And because so many, the, all the people in the in the uh, the place they were hanging also did heroin, it would be hours before any of her friends would rouse, and it would be long past her expiration date when they found her. She had been dead for many hours when they finally found her, and of course, cops were called and they panicked. Almost all of them left that apartment that night or that day, except for one person. Tommy's one anchor to sanity had just vanished. And it wouldn't be long before Tommy had found out. He did have eyes and ears everywhere. And when he did find out, he made his way to the apartment where Celeste's body was still lying. The door was open and only one rookie cop that Tommy already knew was there, waiting for the rest of the police force to arrive. Upon seeing her body, Frank being there as well, uh, Tommy nearly lost control. He sobbed, he paced, he screamed, his hands cupped over, over his mouth. He was freaking out. Frank said he had never seen Tommy like that before, and he never would again. Shortly after Tommy's minor freakout, who would walk out of the bathroom but Phyllis? And upon seeing, And upon seeing Phyllis, Tommy shouted, I told you! Oh, actually, can one of the two of you in Mickey Mouse voice please shout? (laughs) Okay! (laughs) I told you to stay away from her, you bastard! (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and he quickly went at her with anger and violence. The cop, however, got in the way, telling Tommy he knew he couldn't do that. Not with him there. That he had to leave. And Tommy obeyed. He left. But not without some final words. While he looked back at Phyllis, walking out the door, maintaining eye contact, saying over and over again, Go for it, Jesse. I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get you. <laughs> if you believe in your mind and your imagination. <laughs> and he would leave with Frank and go directly to Frank's house. In Tommy's eyes, it was time for Frank to earn his colors and complete trust and loyalty. Oh, no. He's going to tell him to kill her. Tommy wanted Phyllis dead. Oh, and he wanted Frank to do it. This is exactly what. This is exactly how you get somebody to go to the police. This, this is, is literally. This is why if you're a killer for hire, you do it yourself. Don't invite yep. your friends in. Don't invite your friends. <laughs> Don't be in. like Don't do that. The shit. only way you're gonna get out of this is by killing your own girlfriend, <laughs> who you love. Well, keep in mind, uh, Tommy doesn't know that Frank is sleeping with Phyllis. He has no idea. Um. Frank has been sleeping with Phyllis kind of on the low, quote-unquote. Uh, not really telling telling Tommy and just kind of keeping it to himself. So I can imagine now Frank, you know, just the feeling of Tommy being like, she has to die and you have to do it. Uh, I, I, I feel like in the past, like, month of Frank's life, everything went from bad to worse to just the absolute rock bottom for him. And uh, he was afraid of Tommy. He was too afraid of Tommy to say no. So he agreed. <laughs> he agreed that yeah, he would I'll do it. kill Phyllis. Yeah. Wow. Just, I'll do it. I would just drive. I would just, if I would be like, yep, I'm on it. And then I would just drive to Chile. At what point in your, do you, do you, do you still give ta- uh, Frank rather leniency and still being a quote unquote good guy? At what point do you say, no matter how good he is, he's irredeemable for an action? Do you say like, if he killed Phyllis, that was it? Cause I'm curious. Cause some things are about to happen and I'm very curious about your theories. I want to know. Tommy Patera. If- I- Tommy Patera no, Frank. or Frank? If I was Frank. Frank, if I was Frank, the moment that the bathtub night happened, I would have been out of there. So do you already consider Frank irredeemable? Because he never went out of there. He continued to work with Tommy. This is all taking place um, like a few months after the bathroom incident that he saw. Does Frank like, ever kill people? He has been witness to and part of, um, and we're going to find out if he kills Phyllis here in a second. But up to this point, it's insinuated that he's been part of murders, but they're always like... Not to like it, not to desensitize or, or diminish these murders, but like the quick, like angry gang violence kind of murder. Never like they're never like never like going someone's killer house methodical. and cut their leg off or something. Yeah, right. Yeah, never that kind of thing. But granted, it doesn't make him any less awful. Uh, I mean, I'm just I'm, if the baseline is that that's how you kill people in the mob, right? And yeah. then you find a guy who's not just doing that; he's serial killing people and like enjoying himself. Even if I'm a murderer, I'm out on that because, you know, at, you know, if you're a mobster, right, like there's no pretense. You're going to be killing people. Yep. You know what I mean? Like you're in that life. There is a certain expectation. And if, and if somebody's out there who fucks your like morals up, who's like you're feeling like, oh, my God, this guy's like too extreme. Like, you know that there's something bad going on. Like, it's time to go. There's nothing that would ever stop me from turning. But if if. This right here, the moment where he's like, kill Phyllis, this is the time that I would go to the police. Okay. Oh, same thing for you, Jesse? Is this like where you would be like, I'm it? Or, or for Frank, would you uh, be like, this has to be his line? Here's the problem. If you're in this lifestyle, there is you don't go to the police because many of the police are in with you, right? And so, especially in, during this time period, there's no way. Who do you trust? And the minute you go to the police, how long can you stay in prison before someone kills you? Or... How long yeah. can you stay in witness protection? This is a lifestyle where when it's good, it's great. But if you screw up, you're done. And that's yep. just, those are just the rules. And so I think in Frank's mind, if he just went along with it, he could be fine. But mentally, he was so messed up that he kept having to go back and like do coke and, and have sex with this woman. Uh, and I feel like that then compounds upon it where it's like that's his only coping mechanism. So anytime something goes bad... He's just going to go do more coke. And so I feel like the minute he's like, I need you to go kill Phyllis, he's like, I need to find Phyllis and do coke. I, <laughs> like, that's, where, that's what drug addiction is, man. This guy, yeah. 
is not thinking straight. I guarantee he's a a crazy person at this point. It seems right. so easy not to fuck up your shit, but I get maybe maybe that maybe I'm missing something. Well, there's I probably mean, a lot. Go- I mean, there's a lot that isn't. Maybe maybe cocaine like, is just Frank do maybe day-to-day? cocaine. Yeah. Rules? So like, if you want if you want Frank's day to day right now at this point in his life, uh, if he's not high, he's drunk. Sure. It, and, but like, what does constant. he do for the mob? What is his? He's a, he's a bitch boy. He's Gender. not a made man. He's not a made man. He is uh he and he never will be because he's not pure enough. Like in blood, he's not like a full on Italian. Sure. Yeah. Um. So he he while he associates with them and he gets some of the buy the the money from it and he makes good money. Um. He's always he's kind of always their errand boy. So the fact that Tommy had reached out this man who is basically famous in mafia life in this area was trying to take him closer. To say no to that is to like say no to instant success. In a lot of ways, because you remember, Frank came to Tommy initially uh, because he owed somebody money, and they basically the mafia pointed him him to Tommy, and he started dealing coke for Tommy, and uh, and he was doing very good at it, and Tommy really liked him, so as Tommy started to pull him closer and closer, and Frank loved that until the point he realized never sample the merchandise, <laughs> Frank. Well, it, like he he really like while he heard the horror stories of Tommy and who he was, it wasn't until he saw what Tommy did. That really was like, oh my god, this guy's a monster. And by the time he had realized what Tommy was, he was so close to Tommy that there was really no easy way to untangle his life from his. Yo, we need like a Goodfellas remake of this story. I would love that. I, I would, would watch it. Yeah. That. Yeah. All right. Well, let's find out what Frank did next. Frank did everything in his power to actually avoid Phyllis. He did not try and find her. He did not try and call her. And Phyllis, on her end, was laying low. But she wasn't leaving town. And there are theories Dummy. why she didn't. Dummy. There are theories why she didn't leave town. But the the most prevalent theory is that this is all she knew. She loved cocaine. She loved cocaine. This is all she knew. Everybody she knew, she she got drugs from or here. And she still felt a weird sense of safety here because she had been part of that lifestyle for so long. Um, but she was laying low and, uh, they were not running into each other and they were not trying to run into each other. Uh, and because Frank was not running into Phyllis, Tommy was pestering the fuck out of Frank every day was, have you found her? Have you killed her? Have you found her? Have you killed her? And Frank was doing everything he could to stall Tommy, to buy time. And while it was true that he hadn't seen Phyllis, he also wasn't going out of his way to find her. As I had just said, but you know, you know, what's messed up? Hein, I'm not sure where this is going, but I have a feeling that eventually Frank turns in Tommy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot more terrible shit has to happen for him to do that, which is kind of sad because he should have done it, like Alex said, way back at the beginning. Mm-hmm. There would have been no hesitation in my goddamn mind. I would have been like, <laughs> this is fucked up. Do I have a gun in this scenario? Because if that man starts chopping somebody up and like being like, come into the bathtub with me, I would be like, you're, I'm going to kill you. This is crazy. It's a weird, I, f- I see it as a weird Stockholm syndrome kind of thing where he is so afraid and so obedient to Tommy that even the worst things that he's done, he will never stray away. Tommy is to his fear. lifestyle as well. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Tommy, Tommy is kind of the center of how he currently lives his life. So he stayed away from Phyllis and Phyllis laid low. But fate wouldn't keep them apart forever. Oh, God. Here we go. He would cross her path merely by chance. Not long after, a few days. He, when he saw her, warned her, told her to leave town, run off, get out, that Tommy wants her dead, and that he was sending people after her. But Phyllis completely refused to listen. That night, Frank and Phyllis would do cocaine and have sex uh, God again. damn it, Frank. <laughs> Frank, you, and- you know what? I'm blaming Phyllis this, on this one, too. Both of them. <laughs> terrible for each other. Yeah. Literally the worst. Oh, terrible. Frank, come on, man. But he would have maybe gotten away or maybe, like, ignored the fact that he saw her if they had stopped. But they did cocaine and had sex all night and into the day until they ran out of cocaine. Yo, can I, can I be real with you for a second? Yeah. Frank, Phyllis. Maybe y'all like this. Having this, doing drugs, having sex all night. I figure there's got to be a. Maybe I'm old, guys. Maybe I'm old. <laughs> that seems like a lot of goddamn work. I want to sleep. I don't. Right. Like, I want to go to God. bed all night and do well, drugs all is, night. 
Mm-mm. Frank Frank was a was trying to avoid sleeping a lot too because he was constantly having nightmares. Uh, according I, to him, of course. Y'all need to like get it over with. Get, you gotta wake up in the morning. Shit is too uh, much. Shit's too much. And <laughs> according to the interview that that Frank had given, uh, Frank said while they were having sex that he felt guilty and sad, knowing that if she didn't leave, that her days were numbered whether he did the killing or not. But. It didn't stop him from furiously fucking each other and doing drugs with her that night into the morning. That's, I just, that's too much. (laughs) It's too much. I'm going to get caught up on the, uh, I'm hung up on the fact that every time they meet, they only do drugs and have sex. And then, quote unquote, all night. It's too much. It's too much. (laughs) It's clearly not a healthy move. No, it's a lot of like, uh, at this point, are they even having sex to have sex? Or are they having sex to forget? What is sex in this? And what is sex in this scenario? Right, like, are well, saying, what are like, they doing? Sniffing the, cocaine. Are we talking the Humpty Hump? Are we talking the, like, no, freaky the Hoopty Doopty? Freaky we're shit. Like the, oh, okay. Well, then freaky, that's fine. devious that makes shit. Sense. Yeah, no, we're good. Okay. You can do that all night. That, and, that like, works. according, you're according back on to Frank's side now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm back on it now. Frank, you're doing it. You're doing all right. Uh, according Get to it, an interview, according to an interview I read, as well as, uh, as, well as according to the book that I read, um, Phyllis was like the like the reason he loved it so much is that she was she was so deviant in in bed. She loved all kinds of weird shit. Frank made a point that she loved having sex with multiple guys at once, like that kind of thing. She just like loved the lifestyle, and he showed her or she showed him him things that he had never seen before. It was an escape for him, but he still felt guilty. Didn't stop him from fucking. And the next morning, at one point, they ran out of cocaine. But Frank knew a guy because of course he knew a guy. So instead of going to sleep, they went to his place. Yo, this is how it ends right here. Dude. This is it. This is it. They done effed up. They done effed they up. Bought more cocaine and heroin and partied at that guy's place. Yo, this guy immediately has to call Tommy. You know that's what <laughs> happens, right? Well, we'll see what happens. Oh, shut up. There's no <laughs> way. You go to this drug dealer and he's like, hey, everyone on the street, I'm looking for this lady, Phyllis. <laughs> My dude, Frank's trying to find Phyllis. So, when they the, show the, up together, I'd be like, yo, Tommy. You're never going to believe this. And then <laughs> so I... the drug dealer actually sold them the drugs and left and let them party in his place. He didn't care. Um, and, uh, and they did. And they would party until they both would eventually come down and fall asleep. Tommy, however, was still awake, angry, pacing, looking everywhere for Phyllis, and he could never find her. He would try to get a hold of Frank, but couldn't. He wasn't answering his phone. Eventually, Tommy called a man named Musa. And it just so happened Musa? that is, yeah, uh, I think he was part of the Israeli gang that was in the area, if I remember oh, correctly. Shit. <laughs> yeah. And it just so happened that Musa is exactly where Frank went. So to he's buy drugs at Musa's fucking house when when Tommy calls and him. Party. Yes. God. And party with Phyllis. Oh my and god. When Musa's phone rang, Frank woke up and answered the phone. He's like, remember, this, oh, there's dude. no caller ID. There's no caller ID here in 1989 or 88 or whenever this is happening. It might be 90 at this point, 1990. And without hesitation, Frank said, uh, after F- uh, Tommy asked what the hell he was doing there, Frank said to Tommy, without hesitating, I'm with Phyllis. She's here. <laughs> oh, my God, Tommy, you'll never believe who I'm. N- <laughs> I just totally found her. I, oh, oh, man, no. I have my <laughs> I have my penis in her vagina right now. That's crazy. And Tommy's oh, so weird. <laughs> so it's so kind of weird. The funny thing is, Tommy didn't question it. All he said to her, and I quote, was, no matter what, you keep her there. You understand? You keep her there. Or feel free, Mickey Mouse it. I got I to gotta remember to give these the Mickey Mouse voice. Go for it, Sure, Jesse. sure, sure. Uh, <clears throat> Alex, you're going to have to be Tommy. Or uh, Frank. Okay. So, you, yeah, open up with uh, Frank saying, I'm with Phyllis. She's here. Uh, Go for it. I'm with Phyllis. She's here. No matter what you do, keep her there. You understand? Yeah, I understand. Keep her oh, there. Yeah, okay. Oh, shit. <laughs> I'll be there to shoot her in a second. Oh, That's God. actually hilarious because his response, while I didn't annotate it, his response was okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Sure. You got and it. The thing I is, will do that. I will do that. Yes. And the thing is, she wasn't going anywhere. She was asleep, high on heroin, naked, in a bed in another room. What a way to go out. Holy fuck. Tommy quickly ran home, grabbed his gun. A silencer and his uh, amputation Oh, let me go grab my fucking silencer. Yeah. (laughs) He gets a silencer and his tools and quickly made his way to the the Musa residence where Frank was awake and waiting. When he saw Frank, he merely asked where she was. 
Frank pointed to the room. Tommy asked if she was sleeping, and Frank said yes. He walked into the room, immediately pointed his gun at the naked sleeping Phyllis, and emptied three rounds into her. Damn. Damn. And just like that, Phyllis was now dead. At least she got killed in her sleep. And she wasn't awake and didn't get to get tortured or anything because, you know. Yeah, I guess, sure I guess was, that's true. That is a small like, comfort. Yeah, in a weird way. Immediately after she had been shot, as he always did, he grabbed her body, picked it up, and hauled it to the bathtub in the apartment. Which, there was no bathtub in here. Uh, it was an oversized jacuzzi, which is what he used. And got to work. Got the water flowing, took off his clothes, took out his tools, and started to dismember Phyllis piece by piece. Oh my god. And Frank god. sat in the other room, horrified. Eventually, Tommy called for Frank to come into the room where Tommy was dismembering her. And he was only partway through. He had taken off her arms and her head. And Phyllis's head was sitting at the edge of the oversized jacuzzi facing Frank. One eye closed with another wide open. Jesus fucking Christ. A few hours ago, they were just having sex. Now she was being butchered like a cow. Tommy, as Frank walked in, was mid-work. He had Phyllis's legs wrapped his uh, wrapped in his hands around her Achilles tendon, pushed the leg forward, and used a hunting knife to cut through the large muscle connecting her legs to her torso. Jesus! Oh. And Frank was forced to watch. As Frank Wank walked in, Tommy began to explain what the types of rounds he used on her did to her insides. They were glacer rounds. Those How they caused bad. massive internal yeah. damage to a person. Yeah, so he, for people who don't know what these are, like, basically they have little pellets inside them. And mm-hmm. when you shoot someone, they create super deep, messed up wounds. It, like, the crazy rips, thing it, like, is, rips shockwaves through your body. Yep. And, and the crazy thing is, these rounds are designed are, are only designed to hurt humans in the worst way possible. If you shoot it like at a wall, for example, they're so uh, uh, flimsy that they like uh, they would bounce off and ricochet off. Like they do not shoot through structural barriers, like dr- like even drywall. Maybe maybe a little thicker than drywall, but like even sheet metal, it sucks at. And so these are designed literally to be the most painful way to die. So. Yep. That's what Tommy uses. Yeah. Damn. And he was explaining to Frank as he walked in the bathroom how they worked. And it seemed as though this was everyday an everyday thing for Tommy while Frank was now even more traumatized than he already was. How they caused like he was explaining how they caused massive internal damage, as I said. Then he picked up his pistol and shot her lifeless torso or limbless lifeless torso three more times while he explained in detail how those rounds worked and showed the wounds to literally Frank. a scene from a movie yeah literally this whole thing is is uh yeah a true crime movie this has to happen it, it should um frank watched horrified but kind of gave that thousand yard stared stare and continued to obey tommy patera He'd grab bags for him, help him put the pieces of Phyllis, his once lover, into them, then put them in the suitcases, and then eventually put the suitcases in his car. Frank wouldn't help him bury the bodies that night, though. Tommy had a couple of thugs show up and help him instead, and the head never got buried either. The head was brought home with Tommy, never to be seen again. That was his trophy? That was his trophy, and nobody knows what he did with the head. I remember prove the, one of the, yeah. the co-ed killer or somebody like that used to, like, cut off people's heads and, like, make them suck his dick and stuff. Yeah, like, this horrifying, horrifying things, and uh, Tommy never said what he did with it, and nobody ever found out what happened with it, only that the head went home with him. Um, Jesus. And uh, that it was gone, which, again, is another flag of, like, hey, yeah, you might have a serial killer on your hands here if this is what he's doing with bodies. Like, cur- like serial... Um, oh, my God. I was trying to say seriously, and then I was, like, thinking of the word serial, and I said Kirill. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, seriously, like, that's, that's, that's what this is. Um, this would prove to be something Frank would never not only forget, but also never forgive Tommy for it either. Now, it's important that while all this is happening, the DEA is still trying to get into the inner circle of the mafia here. To use the contacts that they've made to get inside the inner circle and figure out more things about Tommy. And while they were getting information, it was moving very, very, very slowly. Too slowly for them. 
Um, they had contacts and feelers out everywhere, and Tommy, with the help of Frank, would continue to murder and kill as he pleased what? for a while longer. What do we mean what? after? What do we mean a while? Few more months. Jesus. Yeah. Frank, you. I, I thought you'd be a cool. I dude. lost respect Frank, for Frank. Yeah. Yep. I, why did I think Frank? Nothing about Frank screamed like he would be the one to to man up now. No, of course not. If he didn't do it all those other times. Of course he's not going to do it now. Yep. Yeah, and uh, Frank's every day, while he was either drunk or high usually, he was now going through two bottles of whiskey a day. Jesus. Uh, to keep him from dreaming, to stop him from remembering. He was Is that not normal? Lost. Is that not normal? Do you guys, do you <laughs> guys that, not go through not, two a day? I only go through one. Two a day and you're okay? One is normal. That's what they yeah. say? Yeah. <laughs> two a day and you're okay? Yeah. <laughs> three at night. Three at night. No dream, no dream delight. <laughs> yeah, three at night, you die. go to the hospital three at night uh yeah and and so they would continue to work together but um frank however was complicit in in my mind this is something that oh yeah no he was a mess in 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 reality not 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 just in your mind yeah yeah from like moment one i wrote down i wrote down in the notes because i kind of write my notes like a story now at this point um, but I wrote down Frank, however, was complicit. That came, that's me. Like I, I was like, he's complicit, right? Like he's definitely complicit in all of this. Um, drunk, high, or both at any given time was his preferred way of life at this point. He could no longer sleep, plagued by nightmares. While awake, guilt racked him endlessly. Drugs and alcohol were his only escape in his mind. It had consumed him almost entirely. And the DEA, for what they've known, they knew about Frank. Because Frank was almost anywhere Tommy was going. Frank was now Tommy's kind of lapdog in a lot of ways. Dude. And maybe at some point, maybe maybe Frank felt a weird kind of safety around Tommy. As long as he was with Tommy, then Tommy wasn't going to kill him. And then Tommy knew that he wasn't being a rat. It's like a clear flaw in that logic. There's many flaws in his logic. <laughs> Absolutely. There was flaws in his logic, like you said, by the first time he watched somebody butcher him and then went to go have sex with Phyllis. Either way, Frank had flawed logic. Um, but they couldn't quite get their hands on Frank. But eventually, on April 9th, I mean, April 10th, 1990, after another long night of drinking and women, Frank, drunk, had driven through a red light with a squad car that was nearby. That's how he fucking went down? He ran a fucking red light? <laughs> after all that shit, he fucking watches a man shoot his, like, freaky-deaky girlfriend to death and cut her up and all this shit. Murders yep. people with him for months. And then he fucks up because he drives to a fucking red light. Mm-hmm. That is... This is embarrassing. And something to point out for those who are interested in doing their own research. I am jumping quite far ahead. There's a lot of stuff that happens in between that is worth researching. But if I sit here and just go beat by beat of their life, I, we'd be here for another six episodes. So if you want more on the DEA and exactly what they were doing and how they were getting involved... Do, do yourself a favor, read the book, go do some research online. It's fascinating what the DEA was doing all the while, especially working with technology from the mid to late, I mean, mid to late 80s. So they've been you know, eyes on for like... They've been eyes on watching him for well over, at this point, two years. Wow. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, but they could never get anything solid on him. That's, that's the problem. That was the problem with Tommy. Tommy was so paranoid, as we discussed, and so elusive that he covered his bases better than anyone that they were following. He was so hard to put any evidence on that they could, they could arrest him, but they had nothing to show for it. Because Tommy was very good at making all the dirty work be done by his subordinates. The only things he did his own was the killing, because he was so goddamn good at it. And he, he never got caught because nobody knew where his burial ground was. Nobody thought that the bird sanctuary, the government-owned bird sanctuary, was where he was burying bodies. So, you know, he, he didn't really have any dirt on him. People knew he was in the mafia, but no evidence. <sighs> anyway, uh, so, uh, yeah, he got pulled over. Um, and uh, he was very clearly drunk, and that though he tried to talk his way out of it, uh, and get it maybe even at the last minute tried to bribe the cop. It didn't work. And the cop put him behind bars for that night. Just for the night to help him sober up. But behind bars and possibly now in the lowest point in his life, Frank made a decision. It was time to clear his conscience. To change his life. To get out of everything he'd been in and atone for his crimes. 
he saw the bars and the and the and the cell and didn't want this to be where he ended up for the rest of his life. So, the more he sobered up, the more resolute in his decision he became. He was done. After pacing a bit, he let the nearby officer know that he needed to talk to a detective. He gave a specific detective name, by the way, a detective that uh, had questioned him a few times many, many years ago, that he, the detective was basically so charismatic that Frank basically trusted him. Oh my uh, God, enough. it is a movie. He's so, oh, so charismatic. about the detective and about Frank <laughs> and how they keep, yep. the interstitials in the movie is them talking and, he, and mm -hmm. it's like, is this before or after? Oh my God, yep. there's so many potential. There's Alex, a lot here. Can we just write this movie? Right, yeah. I mean, I feel like somebody needs to. Um, initially, the officer basically kind of waved him away like, yeah, 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 whatever. But then Frank started talking about the murders and the dismemberings in, in gruesome detail. And that was enough to get the officer to call the detective. The detective was actually about to call it for a night. He was almost done. He was ready to be done. But when he heard Frank Gangy wanted to talk about Tommy Patera, the detective got a brand new energy into him and drove his way down to the station. It was important and it needed to be done now. So, with the detective arriving, things began to change. Sitting down with the detective, Frank nearly voluntarily spewed forth everything. Apparently, Frank had a knack for details, and he was very good at telling a story. He had a great memory. And without skipping a beat, he walked them through everything. How Tommy killed. Frank's part in all of the murders that he had witnessed. Who he had killed. How he had cut them up afterward. Where he buried them all. And when Frank finally got to talking about Phyllis, he broke down, <laughs> sobbed, chain-smoked cigarettes, stared off, uh, never finished his sentences, and became visibly kind of traumatized. This cop was probably just like, yeah, you got anything on your mind you want to talk about, man? Is there anything eating you up that you need to talk about? He just like, yeah, he's like, like Frank's in the interview room sitting at the table. The door opens. The, the, the detective takes one step in and Frank's just like, you, dude? oh, my God, I can't wait to tell <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah. How's how's life, man? Well, let me tell you about why I don't take baths anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And so he just started confessing everything. Um, so yeah, he, like I said, he got talked about to Phyllis and things went, go, went down poorly for him. They had been, uh, they, the, the DEA, however, and the detective and the cops was listening to all of this and taking it all down. They had been after Patera for years now. And this might finally, if, if Frank was telling the truth about the bodies and such, be their chance to get evidence and finally pin Tommy down for good. After talking to Frank, he would call up Jim Hunt, which is kind of the the uh, the, the yin to Tommy's yang in this story. Uh, of of the, and he was part of the DEA, and with, uh, within hours, they asked Frank if they could bring the police force and Jim uh, to the burial ground that he talked about. Frank agreed, and said he could do it. And then the next day, led them to the bird sanctuary on Staten Island. Man, there, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Were you gonna say something? I just like. I can you, you imagine off. somebody bringing you to like? Just, like, imagine you're a cop, even if you know that you're, like, going after a murderer, you know, and you just, like, drive mm -hmm. down there, and then this you're, like, where? And this guy's, like, right there, and you just, like, open it, and it's, like, a leg. That's, like, just, <laughs> that's just, like, so fucked up to me. Well, what actually ended up happening is they spent almost the entire, the whole first day without any any success. The thing is... Frank knew where the bodies were buried, but they were buried at night every single yeah, time. Yeah, he's not, not so 100 was, on it. Yeah, so, like, he wasn't sure exactly where. He just knew general vicinity somewhere around here. And the whole the whole first day, they had what they had is uh, the way they combed the forest is they had these big metal rods, and they would walk, like, one or two steps, stick the rod into the ground to see if it hit anything, pull it back up, walk a few steps, stick a rod into the ground, see if they find anything. And they had spread out with the, with, like, a bunch of police officers and detectives and done that all day long in the sweltering summer, the sweltering summer heat. Um, the first day they found nothing. However, it was on the second day uh, that things changed. There, under the brush, and after hours and hours of searching on their second day, the police hit something. They called people over, they dug it up, and what was underneath the ground was a briefcase. They popped it open, and what they found was a torso and a leg. Damn, literally a leg. Jesus. Yes, quite literally, a leg and a torso. Mm -hmm. Fuck, man. And then, so with a new kind of... Yeah, it's insane. And now with, like, with newfound uh, confidence, they 
quickly started going through the rest of Staten Island's bird sanctuary, and over the course of hours and days, they would find the remains of a total of 18 people, including Phyllis, who was missing her head. Ugh. Damn. Frank was very quickly brought into witness protection after this, and shortly after, his common-law wife, Sophia, and his children. But not before Tommy knew something was up. How does that work? Does that, is that still a thing? Witness protection? Yeah. Well, the way they did it here, and we'll talk about it here, is uh, they basically flew him out of New York into California uh, and had him in a hotel in California, and he wasn't allowed to use a phone and only talked to very specific people. And he agreed as long as they made sure his wife and child were okay as well. Um, however, like I said, and, and while I, I didn't... Uh, Tommy knew something was up. He had been trying to get a hold of Frank for a while now while he was under the uh, you know protection of the DEA, and he couldn't get a hold of him. And to Tommy, if you can't get a hold of somebody in a day or two, he immediately believes you've turned and be- call- believes you're a rat. He eventually, Tommy, went looking for um, his wife and kid, found her in a restaurant, and with his thug, went up to Sophia and his kid and asked where Frank was. And Sophia had only recently talked to Frank, not really knowing what was going on, and told Tommy that he was in California the last he heard. And that was enough for Tommy to leave and be 100% convinced that, Tom, that Frank was now a rat working with the DEA and he was now in a crisis management mode. How does he get Frank? How does he kill Frank? How does he remove him from the problem without, or remove him from the equation without being caught and cover his tracks to keep him safe? He had been trying to get a hold of Frank for days and immediately believed that Frank had flipped. And of course, he was right. Frank and his family were then being kept in a hotel far away in California. About the, the next day after Tommy had kind of confronted his wife, the DEA showed up at his house, uh, at her house, and took Sophia and the kid and flew him away. And that's good because Tommy apparently had been thinking about abducting the wife and kid and torturing and killing them until Frank came out. Uh, but they he, he basically didn't enact on that idea right away, which was enough time for the DA to get there and grab the family and fly them out to California with Frank. And Frank would stay in California until this was all done. He had served his part and he was now in his mind, sipping drinks by the pool. Yeah. He, he was sober. He wasn't drinking or doing drugs. Um, and according to the police reports, Frank became a very different person. He was, uh, very, um, uh, calm, willing to help, though as though like uh, uh, the guilt had been lifted off of his shoulders. Uh, he was a soft-spoken man after he was off the drugs, uh, and generally very friendly. I guess is the word I would use. Uh, talking with them and, and cooperating with them, but I guess you know, once you realize that you know you've turned into a serial killer, working with the cops is kind of your only option. <laughs> Gee, I guess, yeah. Um, so Tommy, knowing Frank had turned to a rat called upon not just the Bonanno crime family, but all of the families in the area and all of the family's associates for Frank's head. And they, without hesitation, heeded his call. Within a day or two, thousands of mafia men were now looking for Frank and to kill Frank, to remove a rat from their presence. How, how hard but, is it to get away from the mob? Like, if they're, like, well, trying to get you... Well, I guess it depends. You. Like, I don't... I, they don't really talk about it. Uh, I, didn't really, I didn't really look too much, but I assume not... It's not like a... There's, there's like a, I don't think there's a worldwide mafia crime ring. Like, was Frank so ever assume, in danger? It didn't seem like it. It didn't seem like once he was in California, it seemed like he was safe. There's literally because, no reason not to go to the cops then. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, the thing is, if the cops don't believe you and you then Tommy finds well, out, well, I mean, dead. there's there's certain rules though, right? Like, if you, I feel like if you're a rat and they don't get you out, you're dead. But if they do get you out. Then yeah. a lot of the time you'll see, and this is uh, 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 many mob informants have done this where they've gotten out and they've lived in like Arizona or something and the mob will harass them, but not kill them. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's because at that point, if they just showed up dead, it would pin it back on the, the mob. mob. Yeah. Well, there are pictures of Frank more from nowadays. Um, uh, he actually has a picture with the author of the book that I read as well. Like the, the author actually directly interviewed Frank for a lot of the story. Um, is Frank still so alive? He's, yeah, Frank is still alive. What does he do these days? I don't know. I think he's still technically under witness protection, if I remember correctly. What's his last name? Uh, Frank Gangi. Gangi. G-A-N-G-I. Right. Gangi. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to see if there's a, if I have anything off the top of my head. but 
yeah, uh, he's still alive. He's still kicking. Anyway, let's move on with the story. So, thousands of Mafia men were looking for Frank to kill him at this point. Because Tommy pulled such power, nobody was going to say no. And, really, the Mafia doesn't want to lose someone like Patera, right? He's exceptionally good at what he does. Um, but, the DEA already had everything they needed to finish Patera. Names, bodies, places, all the evidence they could need. The ghost that was Tommy was no more, and instead, the monster he actually was was being seen fully for the first time by the DEA. And he had nowhere to hide. And Patera knew it. The DEA just needed to find him and take him in before Patera could, take, could uh, cover his tracks and hide permanently. And about uh, two months later, on June 3rd, 1990, shortly after Tommy had dropped off his new girlfriend, by the way, he had a new girlfriend during those months. Between How does he have time dying. for all this? <laughs> How does question. he have time I for I feel all like this? bureaucracy <laughs> just like makes all process go just like really slow. Yeah, probably. Um, and his new girlfriend's name was Barbara. Uh, he was dropping her off one, uh, one day and was heading off to do his own thing in the city. Man, he moves but quick. That, he was following her. They, I mean, they, I'm sorry. They were following Tommy for days at this point, just waiting for a moment where they could get him, where he wouldn't have any reinforcements. Sure. Nobody like, you know, less guns, less, less casualties. And this particular day after dropping Barbara off, Tommy got stuck in standstill traffic. <laughs> That's fucking perfect. So this is how they take him down is they like rush him while he's in a car. This is correct. He can't it was go anywhere. Moment, That's so good. It was at this moment where the traffic had stood still that they took their chance. Jim Hunt and his partner, Tommy. So now there's the Tommy, the cop partner and Tommy Patera rushed uh, Tommy Patera's car, slamming on the driver's side door with their guns drawn, telling him to get out and get on his hands and knee or hands behind his back and on his stomach. But the driver's side door is locked. And Tommy quickly reached over to the passenger side door and threw himself out the passenger side, got oh up. Oh, my God. And with a burst of speed, began to run. This is, this Jim, is a movie. This is a movie. This is the last scene <laughs> of the, the Fugitive. Jim and Tommy took chase after Patera. I'm going to call Tommy Patera now and call the other Tommy <sighs> just Tommy. Uh, chased him until they eventually grabbed him and tackled him and started wrestling him to the ground. A fight ensued as they struggled as both Tim and his Shut partner Tommy up. Tried to get him on his stomach, but Tommy was a martial arts master and a big Tell fucker. me he kills one of these guys. No way, right? <laughs> and they fight a ton on the ground. No gunshots were fired, though. And eventually, Tommy, the police officer, grabbed Tommy Patera by the face and slammed his face into the asphalt, breaking his nose and bruising both of his eyes. And you can actually see him damaged in the mugshot that he had. Jesus. That came shortly after. Uh, and they were able to, and while he was stunned, cuff him. And it was in that instant that Tommy Karate Patera's reign of terror over New York had come to a halt. It was over, and Tommy was in custody. All right, let's go back to the movie you for a minute. Lose. Can you lose. <laughs> can you imagine if over the course of this movie, Tommy, not Patera, Tommy, the cop Tommy, the whole joke between the two of them was like, you know, he was better at, like, clearly Patera's better at his job than you. You're like, they have a little, little partner thing, but at the end, Tommy slams his face on the ground, and then... The main cop is like, whoa, calm down, killer. And they both look at each other like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Looks like you beat on. the ninja. Yeah. <laughs> come on. Everything in here is perfectly set up. You know what? It if, really if is. Not a movie, if not a movie, how about a fighting game? <laughs> a fighting yeah, game? Yeah, just, like just like a solid like 2D fighter. You could have, like, the, you could have Phyllis as a character. You could have Tommy. You could have uh, the freaking uh, Banano guy. <laughs> Dude. Why would Phyllis be? Why would Phyllis be there? She can throw cocaine, uh, you know. She <laughs> she whispers sweet nothings and her super move is you just fuck her. Yeah, and yeah, like her, when the when the cutscene's done, you're just out of like almost all your health is her gone. Her super move is just that she whispers to your girlfriend and gets her to like leave you. <laughs> oh my god! What um, a fucking crazy story! Holy shit! So for a wrap up to give you an epilogue as to what happened afterward. Tommy pled guilty to 18 of the 19 murders he was trialed. He actually never got uh, tried for Phyllis's death because they couldn't identify her properly. Because of her head? Um, because her body was so rotted and her head was missing um, that there was no way to identify that it was Phyllis. No teeth, right? Yeah, no teeth. Like, the Fuck. head is just gone. Um, but he, he got 18 out of 19. They tried. When they interviewed Tommy, I guess he, all when they were talking to him, he was incredibly smug, uh, completely 
um, charismatic during his interview, trying to be, in the beginning, he tried to be helpful, but in kind of like an asshole-ish way where he's pretending he doesn't know what's ta- what they're talking about. Um, eventually, after he was convicted, they tried to get Tommy to uh, give information on the inner workings of the Bonanno crime family and the mafia ring. Tommy never, ever budged. He never ratted them out. He has, until to this day, has complete respect for his family and pride. He's for got being total cred. Was. Yeah, like he is, he is completely still considered like as good as he was. He never ratted on the family in prison. Amazing. Um, yeah, it's insane. So here's where some of the people are now. Tommy is still in uh, Allenwood Federal Penitentiary in Pennsylvania right now. Uh, he loves reading. And the other thing too, when they when they raided all of his apartments, by the way, um, his main uh, living apartment was pretty empty. His other apartment was storing things, and the other apartment is Filled where they found anime. all of the. kind of it was filled with the books that he had read over and over and over again about dismembering and fighting uh he also had a safe in that apartment that they cracked open and in the safe was all trophies from different people he had killed um whether it be jewelry or a finger or stuff like that he had trophies from all the people he had killed just like in baggies and shit yeah like just as as uh totems or trophies for his kills god damn um he is still a voracious reader uh, in, in Hopefully he doesn't listen particularly, to podcasts. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, particularly that of things about war and famous battles, martial arts, and killing. His typical things. Um, and his family still comes to visit him. And he receives mail and books from friends and family in prison still. Because remember, he still had before, before Phyllis, I mean before Celeste, he had a wife and kid. It's true. That he was taken care of. And they come to visit him. Still. Uh... Jim Hunt is uh, the the DEA officer. He's still uh, working as a assistant special agent in charge of the DEA's New York office on 10th Avenue. Amazing. Still doing his job. Physically fit, doing a good good Jim job. Hunt. Frank Gangi. Frank Gangi is still in the witness protection program. He is quote unquote miserable. His entire family completely disowned him. Uh, he still has a massive drinking problem and smokes two packs of cigarettes a day. Hell yeah. Get when it, Frank. He still this to this is day, the end of a movie. Oh he's my still, god. This is the post. He apparently, oh. <laughs> he apparently still cries when he talks about Phyllis. Really? Yep. I uh I read an interview with him from like two or three years ago. Uh mm-hmm. that he went back to New York at one point. Oh just really? Just like to like see what the, Oh actually I think I read that. Yeah. Just yeah, to like yeah. see what the deal was and stuff. I don't know how good of a source this was. This was called the Cosa Nostra News. Gotcha. Uh but, but uh he was like, it's so fucking weird, dude. He's like, now you just see dudes, like, openly posting on Facebook. Like, people are, like, writing all these books, but it, like, he says it's all bullshit that they're just, like, self-serving. Like, they're trying to build their brand. They realize they don't need to, like, do crime anymore if they're just, like, shady and they, like, lean into the mob angle. He was just, he basically yeah. just, like, was taking the piss out of the mob, which to me is, like, how you get killed by the mob. But I don't, I don't know. I haven't heard about somebody getting killed by the mob in some time. Yeah, I feel like it's a it's a different world nowadays. Clearly, um, damn. But yeah, apparently he's still miserable, living his life with no family, uh, and still in witness protection. Uh, the the two people that and like basically a lot of the um, the fringe people, the DA working with, uh, all who were on trial, who stood trial against Tommy and Court, are all in witness protection now as well. Uh, obviously, because if you're gonna rat, you're probably gonna be killed uh, in the city you work in. Um, Tommy, the other, the, the other Tommy cop, the cop was, uh, yeah. yeah, Tommy, the cop, he retired from the DEA, the DEA and is now the CEO of Sunbank Corp. I don't know what that what? is, but that's what he is. I thought you were going to say, like, and now yeah. is the CEO of Riot Games. <laughs> <laughs> La Cosa Nostra, La Cosa Nostra refers to the mob family in New York, by the way. Yeah, that's the, that's yeah, the yeah. real deal one. And, uh, that's where I think all of our characters currently sit now. Damn. I don't know if there's anybody really else worth that that we talked about that you want to know what happened to, but those are the big the big epilogue. This was so weird because it was are. totally fucked up, but like everything in here absolutely happened. Very yes, different. It than is normal. all true crime. There are tons and tons of sources. You can go out there. Um, I recommend the book that I read. Um, there's a lot of you can just pull up his records. Uh, you can see that he's still in prison now. Um, you can see his mugshot from before and uh, all the interviews. Are, there's a lot of interviews out there that you can read. Um, Library of Congress is a really good one. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Sick. Man, there's just a lot. Yeah, man. Wow. So, the end. That is the story of Tommy Karate Patera. 
The man who was a martial arts prodigy as a child who got picked on for his high voice turned horrendous Mickey Mouse serial killer. How have I never heard of this guy? After a, after a reign of terror of about 13 yeah, years. This is fascinating. How did I miss this, this entire guy? Story? Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah. Somebody make a movie. Somebody yeah. pay us to tell you to I do make wonder. It. I did do it. I don't think there is a movie about Tommy Patera. Tommy Patera movie. No. There's, like, YouTube documentaries. There's actually a few. I feel like the writer who wrote this book should probably Sell that. be the one to call us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call us and we'll make it. We'll, we'll help you. Philip we'll Carlo. put it in the right hands. I'm sure Philip Carlo is well off, man. He, uh, a lot of his books, they all, like, he has books on a lot of people that we talked about and he, that are talked about in this book that we didn't necessarily bring up on the podcast. Like, the leaders of the crime family. He has a whole book where he interviewed the leader of the Bonanno crime family. He's like family. a mob guy. Like, he is... He is a mob guy. That is his true crime niche is just mafia mob crime. Um, but because Tommy Patera was like a, a mix of mafia and serial killer. If you look up, if you look up Philip Carlo, Philip Carlo like looks like a mob guy. Like, <laughs> look at his pictures. Um, but an incredibly well written uh, book uh, coupled with uh, some 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 research. And man, this, the, the just piecing it all together really paints an interesting picture of what I think is a often ignored or completely ignored serial killer in Tommy Patel. Truly, so. truly an amazing story. And next time, if you're missing ghosts and weirdness, we'll have more for you. Yeah, uh, I'm excited. Um, we should have some more mini episodes coming up as well. Yeah. Uh, there's some good stuff coming out, but the next one is a bit more on the weirder side. Still based on a factual story, but I'm ready. I'm ready for it's, weird. It's good. Do you yeah. know? Did we say what it was already? Do you want to tease it? I told you. I told you. I, too, I, I know think. what it is. Um, I know what it is. But yeah. I, I'm wondering if did, did we say to the people what it was? I don't think we said what to the people what it was. That's yet. that's good. This is going to be you exciting. I think big we'll leave teases. it. Oh my yeah. god. Okay. But uh, big thank you guys so much for watching. Uh, thank you to the two of you for joining me on this this wonderful story of Tommy Patera. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it as much as Hell I yeah. did. Yeah. Uh, it was great. Um, a big thank you to the viewers. We have officially passed uh, fifty thousand listens a month. If we couple that with YouTube uh, views as well, we're we're approaching like the seventy thousand really? to eighty thousand uh, listens. Wow, a month, That's which is phenomenal! Bonkers! Holy phenomenal. shit! Phenomenal! Damn, guys! Uh, very very excited. Um, we are at the final steps of merch, so keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. I'm ready to we'll put talk. a shirt on my body. It looks tight. Me too. The shirt it looks, looks tight. Dope. You guys, I really really like it. Uh, it's got a neat little kind of kind of gimmick that goes Don't along with it. Don't spoils it. I'm not gonna spoil it. I'm not gonna spoil it. Uh, and then if you guys like the merch and you really want more, we can whip up some more merch for you guys easily. Um, if you guys like the, the episode, if you're on iTunes, please. We're, I think we're about to pass 355-star reviews. Drop us a review. Let people know how much you love it. Um, and uh, let your friends and family know about it as well. It's the best way to spread about a podcast as to what you can do. You can find us at Chaluminati Pod here uh, to chat with us. There's a subreddit for Chaluminati Podcast as well. My favorite uh, place to learn literally. There's such just such good shit in that, yeah. in that subreddit, man. Go check it out. Um, if you want to tweet at me directly, it's at Mathis Games. You want to tweet at Jesse directly, it's at Jesse Cox. If you want to tweet at Alex specifically, it's at Faciane A. Uh, let us know how you enjoyed the true crime. This will not be the last time we do true crime by any stretch. This one was it uh, was a surprisingly epic uh, series of episodes, but <laughs> I I'm glad we went three on it. It was so interesting. Yeah, it was great. We love you guys very very much. And uh, I can't think of anything else. Is there anything else we wanted to tackle, guys? Or are we good? You're gonna, yeah. You're gonna get back to weird. You're gonna eat this right. next episode up. You get it? Yeah. 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 You're gonna you're I'm gonna excited. eat it right up. Get it? Nope. No, you I'm terrified. It. You no. Get it. You're gonna eat <laughs> it up. All right. No. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time for episode ten. Holy shit, dude! Tenth anniversary. Goodbye. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.